episode five, Let's Talk Modern Day Slavery. Hello again, it's Holly back again. It's so great to have you with us here again today. We have another interview and this one's called Let's Talk Modern Day Slavery, A God of Justice. Today's interview is with Di Hankey, who is a preacher and a church planter and a passionate abolitionist. He pastors a Redeemer's Church in Cardiff. He leads Red Community, a Christian anti-slavery charity. And he's also a director of Manumit, which is a coffee roasting business. And they um, employ survivors of modern day slavery. So it's a real privilege to have him with us here today. He's written a few books, including The Hard Corpse, A Man's Greatest Challenge and The Remedy. Um, so as always, if you do have any questions, please do let us know. But let's get on into it. Um, it's going to be a really good one today. Thanks for joining us tonight everyone taking the time. Um, my name's Grace and I'm a final year education with psychology student and I'm joined by Rodri. Hey I'm a, uh, a third year computer science student and currently doing a placement in Bath. Yeah thank you so much for everyone joining us this evening. Uh, tonight we'll be talking to Di on the issue of modern day slavery and through that whether God is really a God of justice. Uh, now, if you have any questions uh, for Di on modern day slavery, faith, Jesus, or really anything, uh, please do text those questions to the number on the screen um, as we will have a time of Q&A afterwards. It's, uh, it's great that even during a pandemic, we are still able to do this online, um, but Wi-Fi and Bath can be quite temperamental. So if there are any glitches or lagging, please do bear with us. Um, yeah, as we'll hear in a bit, um, Di is doing some incredible um, life-changing work. So uh, yeah, thank you for taking some time out to talk with us this evening. Whether you're uh, live on Facebook or YouTube or listening to the podcast whilst doing the dishes, we are all uh, so glad that you are giving us a listen. So thank you. Uh, Di should be Hi, amazing. Di. Hi, Di. Um, firstly, it's it's lovely to talk to a fellow Welshman. Um, I, I hope you're enjoying the rugby. Um, I'm so, the yeah. rugby right Three terrible performances and we just won the Triple Crown. It's incredible. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. Um, but yeah, how, how are you doing? Not too bad, thank you. Um, yeah, a bit knackered, but I think everyone is at the moment. Coronavirus is just throwing yeah. us all in a bit of a bin. I've got four yeah. kids off school. I'm not too bad, mate. It's first problems. I'm a lot more blessed than I deserve, so uh, yeah, I can't complain. Well, thank you for taking the evening to be with us anyway. Um, so let's just kick off. Could you just tell us a little bit about yourself? And also some of us have been receiving welcome packs, which have had some delicious coffee in them. And I wondered if you could just share a little bit about where that might have come from. Yeah, of course. So um uh, my, my name is Di, I'm Welsh, Welsh-born, uh, never really left to be honest with you, still uh, living in Cardiff now with my wife, and, uh, Michelle, and our four children. We've also got a dog, two rabbits, four chickens, and an army of stick insects, so we're a bit of a tribe. Um, pastoring a church here in the inner city, there's a, there's, there's a part of Cardiff called Splot, and that's where, and, and that's where our church is, that, that's where we live, and so we're, we're in the Splot part of the city. And uh, pastor a church called Redeemer Church, which I planted about three years ago, maybe four years ago now actually 
Uh, been a while. Coronavirus, I took her out of my thought, um, but yeah, it's still technically four years ago now. And um, I also run a charity called Red Community, which is um, an anti-trafficking, anti-slavery charity, mainly raising awareness, but also providing support, uh, practical support for survivors of modern slavery. And I guess it was through the Red Community work that we also, myself and one of the other trustees of the charity, my friend Nick, we set up a, a coffee roasting business called Manumit Coffee Roasters, which is where your coffee came from, which exists purely to provide employment to survivors of modern slavery, to give them an opportunity to um, try and rebuild their lives, get themselves back into um, work, uh, back into what it means to you know, be able to sort of earn, earn a living and um, after the traumas that they've been through to rebuild their confidence and realize that they can you know, uh, achieve great things still. So that's, uh, that's me in a nutshell. Fantastic, thank you. Amazing. Um, so I guess uh, with the nature of the, the talk, like what is modern day slavery and um, in what ways is it like closer to home than we may think? Yeah, I mean, modern day slavery is is horrendous. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's one of the fastest growing, it is the fastest growing form of um, crime in the world. It's a very, very um, lucrative business for criminals and Although when we often think of slavery, we think about um, the transatlantic slave trade. We think about the Colston statue that got tossed into the River Avon in Bristol last year and all, and all the things that were associated with that. Um, but modern slavery, I mean, slavery, my, my, my personal definition of slavery, um, stroke trafficking, would be the exploitation of the vulnerable by the powerful for illegitimate ends. Um, and so that can be financial gain, that can be sale gain. Um, but there are multiple forms of modern slavery in the world now. People often, when they hear the word human trafficking, default in their minds are thinking about prostitution. They think about sex trafficking, and that's certainly a, a major issue. You know, um, women and children primarily, but also men, but primarily women and children are exploited sexually um, by traffickers and modern-day slave traders, often taken uh, across borders and exploited in other countries. But um, there's also a lot of other forms of modern day slavery that perhaps people don't realize. Forced labor will be a huge one. People being forced to work in what I would call legitimate work, like factory work or agriculture, um, which isn't you know, criminal. But if they're, if they're doing so for little or no pay, if they're being kept in horrendous conditions, if they're being kept against their own will, that's still exploitation and slavery. And that's huge. Um, that, 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 that's, and we saw last year, didn't we, uh, during the the pandemic there were those sweatshops in uh, in leicester uh, the, the the boohoo stuff i think um really kind of brought that to our attention it's not just happening in countries like india or southeast asia but there's that stuff happening here as well uh, then this criminal exploitation will be another form of modern slavery criminal exploitation will be people being trafficked or um exploited for criminal enterprises so for example cannabis cultivation or children being forced to beg or to pickpocket, that would be criminal exploitation. There's a thing called domestic servitude, which might sound like it's old fashioned, but it's very, very, um, it's very, very common, especially in big, uh, wealthy cities. In London, it's a huge issue. And that'd be people that are forced to live almost as chambermaids or servants or slaves in the house, um, forced to do domestic chores, but also that often involves sexual exploitation as well, especially when it's women who are, you know, who are being forced to live in that way. Um, then there's organ harvesting will be another one, which is horrendous, but that's where people are literally trafficked 
drugged and when they wake up they have vital organs that have been removed sold on the black market there's a huge black market for um for human organs and one in the uk that um i certainly see a lot around me and, and the, the police and the governing bodies are becoming increasingly aware of this one there's a, um, it's a really crazy form of slavery because there's, there's two different sorts of victims Often what county lines will do is they will take, um, they will basically try and take territory in smaller towns, smaller cities, and start a drug trade there. So let's say Liverpool or London, the drug gangs have saturated the um, territory there. They will try and muscle in um, onto the south coast of England or the west coast of Wales or um, rural um, places like that. They will send gangers to try and um, establish a drug network there. That will normally involve, in the first instance, getting themselves set up in a flat, which involves exploiting homeless people who would just be put into accommodation, other addicts, getting themselves set up in a base and exploiting them, threatening them that if they don't let them stay in their place and use their place, they're going to suffer harm. And then getting younger kids to, to essentially peddle their drugs for them. If you often see kids on bikes with their hoods up late at night, shooting around at council estates, shooting around in the city streets, oftentimes they're running drugs for bigger drug dealers. Um, don't even know that they're being exploited, but they're just like, um, they, just, they, they just make it a much more easy way of dealing drugs. Mm. And oftentimes these are kids in the care system. These are kids who have got broken homes. They're kids who are vulnerable in their own ways and they're just crying out for the affirmation or for the um, the kind of pat on the back of gang members. And you know, if you talk to the police who talk to these young people, they don't even, if you, if you say, guys, you're being exploited, they wouldn't even see it as exploitation. They see it as them playing their part. But obviously they end up with a criminal record. They end up taking the hit for, for carrying drugs. And they often end up involved in violence because drug gangs don't want to give up their territory lightly. And so they'll send young people out with knives. That's a lot of the drive behind the escalating knife crime in our cities and in some of these smaller communities is often connected to county lines drug gangs where young kids are terrified of going back to their gangs and saying they, they lost a turf or they lost the drugs. And so they, they up the violence to try and keep their, their, their finger in the game. So that would just be some of the ways that we see modern day slavery. They estimate uh, the global slavery index esti estimates there's about 48 million people in the world currently in some form of slavery or bondage, which sounds me mental, but it sounds even more mental when you realize that's one in every 200 people on planet Earth is a slave. Wow. No, that's, yeah. Um, the thing is that that's, everyone would agree that that's wrong and that's so clearly wrong. Um, I guess for you, like for you personally, um, why is, why is actively helping fight this evil, I, I guess, so important? So for me, uh, I cannot say that I would care about this issue if God hadn't changed my life. Um, I would have been quite happily, you know, just part of the problem rather than part of the solution. But back in 2012, I was first made aware of the issue of human trafficking. And all I can say is God grabbed my attention and basically grip me with it and there are there are a multitude of social issues it's not just modern day slavery i'm sure everybody watching this would acknowledge there's climate issues there's race there's racial issues there's gender issues there's you know there's so many issues there's asylum migration issues criminal justice for whatever reason um 
this is the one that God got me with, that this is the one which is on my heart. And it's not that I don't care about the other things, but this is the one where I got involved. And um, a huge part of it for me is because um, I see the issue of slavery as, I mean, I used to be a slave, not a slave physically, like we just des described. I had a very privileged upbringing. I was well looked after. I had a loving home. But I was a slave to a lot of my passions and a lot of my lusts. I was an angry, angry man. I was um, uh, a slave to pretty much every kind of impure thought, action, and desire you could imagine. And God set me free from that uh, when I was 15 years old. And so to me, I feel like somebody who's been set free. So the issue of freedom, to me, it, when I see people in physical bondage, it resonates with the spiritual bondage I feel like I've been set free from. God changed my life, and I can't keep that kind of freedom to myself. Hmm. Thank you. Um, yeah, we you've mentioned even a few issues that we're talking about in other talks this week. Um, so if anyone wants to go and look at the other ones, um, there's a lot of issues that we're discussing this week, and and like Roger said, these things are wrong, um, and. Yeah, you've mentioned that you're, it's because you have been set free yourself. Um, and thinking about this issue this week of a loving God, um, this is what keeps coming up. We just wondered whether there's been anything in this horrendous issue, like you said, it's just horrendous, that has actually caused you to question a loving God, caused any doubts or challenges um, in, in the reason you do what you do. It's mm, a great question. I honestly can say it hasn't caused me to doubt whether there's a loving God for two reasons, really, is one. I mean, I've been a Christian now for almost 30 years. That sounds crazy even saying that, um, but almost 30 years. And to this day, I can't believe the change in my life and what God has done for me. So regardless of what I see on the news, what I see happening around me, like what I see in, in this issue, I can't doubt God's love because of how overwhelmed by God's love I personally am. Like, you know, so just personally. I feel loved um, by God and I feel undeservedly loved. Um, but I have seen, heard and witnessed horrendous, atrocious things, which, I mean, I, I say to someone just the other day, I feel like I've run out of tears. And sometimes I feel like I've got too hard hearted on the issue. Even like the, the spiel that I gave at the beginning of this interview, once upon a time, I would have choked up saying some of them things. But like, I, I do struggle sometimes. Have I got so familiar with it that, you know, I have become numb to the suffering that I'm constantly aware of and constantly surrounded by. But when it comes to and I'm not, I'm not saying everybody will be like me, I would totally understand and said, I honestly connect there being a God of love and a lot of this crap that's happening in the world. How can there be a loving God if that's happening? But one of the questions that I have to kind of ask as well is, does not having a loving God as part of the equation make it any more of a, hopeful situation because to me it just makes it an even more bleak situation because it doesn't change the reality on the ground the reality the reality on the ground is there are wicked people doing horrendous things to other um men women and children in this world and if there is no god which many people would believe and i would you know i i, I don't agree with that but many would agree would believe that i don't see how that makes it a less of a bleak situation because to me god is the only hope that i've really got he's the only one that could have changed me so rather than making me doubt God, it's made me something. It's made me cling to God, because you know um, I, I I struggle to imagine this world without God's hope holding me together. Um, and plus, I mean, some things I've seen as well. Like so, the Bible says that where all people 
regardless of your your age, your skin color, your culture, your religion, your sexuality, like you know, whatever you you name it, every single human being on planet Earth is an image bearer of God. Everyone, which is part of the reason why I hate modern day slavery, because anybody that does anything to exploit anybody, regardless of how deserving they think they are or aren't, to you know, some people can justify the things they do. But, you know, they say, oh, they, they deserve it because they're this or they deserve it because they're that. No, no one deserves it because what they're doing is they're desecrating the image of God by treating another human being like that. And one of the things I've seen which has blown me away with this issue is seeing the um, is seeing the extent of what. I mean, human beings are weak in many ways, but I've seen epic human strength as in strength i'm not talking like strength like physical strength like hulk hogan or that's probably a dated reference actually i don't know who'd be a common strong man these days i'm showing my age there child of the, of the 70s but um i like not, not that kind of strength but women who have worked in my coffee unit who have suffered like in ways that i, I pray none of us on this call would ever suffer and yet it's just showing incredible just like resolve and durability and resilience just see the image of God in that in in that in that vibrancy, in that life, in that vitality. Um, and as much as I see evil and I hate it, I also see there's something of the image of God in the people that I that I I, I, I get the privilege and the joy of working with, and it blows me away. And you know, it just makes me grateful uh, to to be honest with you that humanity is busted and corrupt, and like there's so much about humanity. We still somehow, in the middle of all the mess and the crap, we still bear the image of God, and that kind of blows me away a little bit. I've seen the best and the worst of humanity in um, in what I'm doing, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, well, you talk about the image of God, um, and you talk about things like freedom and hope, um, and obviously, um, as Christians, we believe that God is a, is a just God, and He is full of justice, um, and claims like that are made in the bible um but when we look around us and as you've talked about some horrendous things and even kind of just what you've seen within wales which is really tiny part of the world um we see so much injustice so how from your perspective what you believe how can you claim that the god the christian god is a god of justice again a great question um i and believe a really god big one <laughs> Yeah, it's a big one. Yeah, I mean, it depends how 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 long you've got. Um, and by the way, if anybody watching this, you know, wants to sort of like reach out, you know, off the back of this, and like wants to send me an email or something, I'll give my email address at the end. I'd, I'd gladly try and answer these questions better. I don't want to take everybody's entire Wednesday evenings off them. But um, God is a God of justice because He says He's a God of justice. And he's proved He's a God of justice. The whole Bible is essentially God showing that He's a God of justice. He doesn't sweep sin under the carpet. He deals with it. He doesn't always deal with it in ways that we like or we appreciate. Um, and I could take you to multiple um, examples where you see that God is a God of justice. The ultimate place is the cross of Jesus, where the reason that Jesus died was because there's a God of justice who had to be answered to. And Jesus, in his kindness, faced the justice of God that all sinners, including me, especially me, deserve. And he died in my place. That was justice. That was God showing he's a God of justice. Now, I want to read you just a couple of things from uh, from the Bible. Uh, there's a Psalm Psalm 10. If you've ever if, if if you get hold of a Bible, and you want to find the Psalm which expresses something of the agony and the anguish 
um, of what it's like to look at the issue of injustice and exploitation and the wicked exploiting the poor and the vulnerable and then knowing how to pray about it. Psalm 10 is a flipping banger, right? This is my go-to psalm for understanding where does God fit into all this and what can I do? And Psalm 10 is essentially a prayer, not for, not, not for the psalm. We don't know who wrote the psalm. We haven't got a name on it, but we know that whoever it was that wrote this psalm wasn't praying for themselves. They were praying for the poor who were being exploited. And so that's why I love it. It's not a self-indulgent prayer. It's an intercessory prayer, a prayer for other people who are suffering. And in the midst of it all, this this uh, this psalmist who's praying, he's describing the, the wicked people who are getting away, or looks like it look, looks like they're getting away with with um, with exploitation and um, uh, crime and just plundering the poor. It describes the wicked as a lurking lion in uh, in the thicket looking for vulnerable prey to devour and the son of this season and he says that this this wicked man is lurking in in, uh, in ambush in the villages looking for the helpless um and, and then crushing jumping on them and crushing them and then he says in his heart he says god has forgotten he's hidden his face he will never see it the psalm describes this person saying god doesn't see what i'm doing i'm going to get away with this because i will never face justice and when you when you do what I do and you see how many people who commit trafficking offences and, um, and, and exploit people in these ways, the top of these gangs very rarely see justice in this lifetime. Ones further down the scale might see justice, but the crime get that the gang leaders, where especially in countries where corruption is rife, they will go to their grave having never faced justice. So this psalm describes the kind of attitude that these people have. But... As the cross says, no, there is a God of justice and they, they may never stand before a human court, but they will stand before the judge of all and they will have to give an account. In this psalm, like the person who wrote it gets proper animated with God. I wouldn't say angry with God, but really kind of like, oh, God, what's going on? Like, And he basically says, God, get up and do something. He says, arise, O Lord, arise, get up. Lift up your hand. And he starts praying things like, snap their wrist, God. Break them down. Don't let them get away with it. And I just love that because that's how I feel. When I hear some of the stories that the, 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 the women who work with me and the men who work with me share, my instinct is like, I wish somebody would break their flipping arm. Like, they shouldn't be able to get away with that. That's, that's wrong. And, and yet, God in Psalm 12 answers the prayer, God, would you arise? And in Psalm 12, verse 5, God says, because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. So will God arise and do justice? Yes, he will. It may not be justice in this life. It may be justice in the next life when we stand before him, but we, there will be justice. But one of the, the key ways that God does bring about justice in this life, check this out, this is bonkers, is he uses ordinary men, women and children to be agents of justice in this world. So the way that God has arisen in Wales, and I don't really get it, but as he said, die, get up and do something about it then. Yeah. And so all I'm doing is being God's hands and feet. And I'm tiny, I'm small, I'm doing hardly anything in the global scheme of things, 46 million people or 48 million people. And I'm just like, you know, I work with three people in my little coffee roastery and there's so much more than I'm you know, that I could do. But what if a bunch of us got up and did something? What if a bunch of us said, I'll, I'll, I'll arise. I'll be God's hands. I'll be God's feet. I'll go and do what God wants me to do. And very quickly, you, you get an army of ordinary people not doing it because they're amazing, not doing it because they want to do it because they've been so changed by God's love. They made that love of a broken world.
And all I'm all I am is being part of that promise of God to do justice in this world and to put things right. You know, I might not, you know, see after things that I want to see, but there's it reminds me of a little story of a girl who went down to a, a beach one day and there were there, there'd been a storm surge and loads of starfish had got washed up on the beach. And um, there was like thousands and thousands of these starfish drying out and dying on the beach. And she was overwhelmed by compassion for the starfish. So she just runs down to the beach and just starts chucking these starfish back into the sea. And this, this proper cynical old git of a man says to her, you know, you're wasting your time. You know, you can't save them all. You can't make any kind of a difference. And this little girl bends down, picks up a starfish, chucks it in the sea. And she says, I made a difference to that one. And I just think there's something about that that God wants to do. Like we all want to be the one that like that can save a thousand people, but what if God just wants you to save one? And I think that's kind of how God does His justice in the world. There's ultimate divine justice done at the cross, and but there's also a ministry of justice for all of God's people to get stuck into, and that's what I'm by His grace in the middle of right now. Amazing, yeah. Because I guess like it's it's so easy to look at the picture, the big picture, but then also if you're making like that individual difference to that person's life. That's that in itself is incredible. Um, I guess as as like students of Bath, uh, human trafficking feels so distant from us. Um, like, are there? I guess are there particular things that we should be aware of, and like say like uh, changes we may need for, to our lifestyles. Always, and I'm still finding ones now. Do you know what I mean? I would say yeah. don't like beat yourself up. Because I mean, we are we. This is the world we live in. Like, but I, get educated. Like that's what I did. So for the first year after God smacked me over the head with this issue, I didn't just jump up and start doing the things I'm doing. I had a year. Where I just prayed and started inviting people to our prayer meetings who knew what the heck they were talking about and said, right, tell us about this, tell us about that. Get educated, learn, learn how you can find out if the coffee that you drink or the, the food that you eat or the t-shirts that you're wearing, if there's any kind of exploitation, find out how you can ask those questions. Um, don't and don't be uh, and don't be shy to ask questions. Email people. Ask the lady behind the counter. You know, whatever. Just say, how do we know that this is ethical? Those sorts of things for real. But even when your eyes open, you can't see. And so, I don't want to sort of like give you a whole list of things that I know. I'm just constantly looking out for. But I feel like my antennae means I'm never off duty. Like I can't walk around the city and not see things. So you know, but there are a lot of things. A lot of industries where there is um, exploitation happening. Some of them are classic um, brothels, nail bars, car washes. Maybe some of the key ones. Uh, uh, but you know, even like kids on street corners. Um, if you start hearing people with like a London accent or a Liverpool accent, and you're not in London or Liverpool, and there's some older-looking guys who are basically hanging out with, with a bunch of vulnerable-looking younger guys who are from that community, that sort of thing should be, you know, could be not should be, but maybe, an, uh, you know, set an alarm bell ringing. Why are there, you know, guys from, you know, from the inner cities of London and Liverpool in Bath hanging out with like kids on a council estate? What's that about? And there's stuff just to just find out how to get educated. And there are some really good websites you can find out from. Um, there's one actually from an amazing charity very near to where you guys are in Bristol called um, Unseen. And there's some amazing resources available on that. It's a secular website, not a Christian thing. It's a secular site, but you get loads of good information and education on that. Get educated. And you learn, listen, listen to podcasts, read books, hear testimonies and stories of people like this. There's loads of stories and books that you can read of people who come through this. But be aware that if you do that, then your eyes get opened and then you've got to do something about it. Yeah, definitely. Amazing. Thank, Thank you. you.
before we quickly go into questions, I'll just do a little plug. There's a society at Bath Uni called Just Love, um, and they're all about um, just seeing what God has to say about justice and acting on that. So if anyone wants to look that up on Facebook, that's a great community to start because I think it's really important that we're not alone in this. We're not trying to do it, like you said, die a thousand people by yourself. Um, and there is um, lots of communities out there that are, are passionate about this subject. So thank you, Di, for those few little bits that we can start thinking about. Um, continue to send in questions, guys. We've got a few questions um, coming in. And the first one is, um, you mentioned a while back that God set you free. And the first question is, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by God set you free? Okay. Uh, he set me free from self-hatred, from guilt. I I did a lot of things wrong, man, when I was younger. I, I'm sure a lot of us have done things wrong, but I was no stranger to guilt. I was no, uh, in fact, guilt was almost like my shadow wherever I went. The more I did wrong, and you know, I'm not going to go into too many details of all the things I did wrong, you know, but this, you know, swinging punches, nicking stuff, lust, treating girls like dirt. Just, just things which I shouldn't have done. And by the age of 15, I felt horrendous about myself. I, I, I hated going to bed left with my own thoughts. In fact, I had to have some kind of screen on or program on or some distraction so I didn't have to just go to bed and think about my life. I wanted something else to be in my head till I fell asleep. I would always fall asleep with the telly on because I didn't like to go to sleep alone you know, with my thoughts. And when I found out that Jesus had been punished on the cross, for the things that I wanted to punish myself for, that I, you know, I gave myself such an emotional beating for you know for the things I felt bad about. I couldn't handle inflicting on self, upset with the things I'd done. When someone explained to me that Jesus took the beating that I thought I was due, and I believed that with faith, and I believed that actually He died for all the things I'd done wrong, as if He had been the one that had done those things. If he'd been the one that robbed the, you know, robbed that shop or stole from his mother, like like I did, and that if I trusted him, he'd forgive me for that. The the day, in fact, the, the minute I just could turn from all that and said to God, "I'm so sorry. I believe what Jesus did was for me. I believe He died in my place and rose again, and I want to, I want to live for Him, and I want to, uh, you know, follow Him." That that minute, that moment, my I knew my life had changed. And that's what I mean by being set free. And now I'm no longer controlled by my anger. I'm no longer controlled by self-hatred. I'm very aware of my, fault, my, my faults and my failures. And my and I'm not a perfect person. If I come across in any way on this call, cocky or arrogant or holier than thou, please know I'm not. I'm a trophy of grace. I'm not who I was. And that's all because of him. And that's what I mean by being set free. Amazing. Thank you. We use some of these... Christian terms and you sometimes forget that not everyone kind of knows. So thank you for clarifying yeah, that. That's fine. Um, continuing on that, you, you mentioned that you've been forgiven um, and someone asked a question that I hadn't even thought of, but I think it's pretty challenging on. After all you've seen, how as a Christian are you able to forgive um, any of these people who have done such evil things? That's a really good question. And that's a, re and that's a really searching question. I'm going to say something now, which is going to sound crazy, and I really hope this doesn't offend anyone, but i got to give my honest answer. But for the grace of God, I honestly don't believe I'm a better person than those people. Now, that's, that's, I, I'm allowed to say that about myself, because I, I, I can speak about my own life, 
whether you want me to say that about you, I don't think you'd want me to say that about you, but I, I'm going to say for myself, I know the kind of person I would be if God hadn't um, done what he's done in my life. And at what point does somebody become a trafficker or, you know, or a slave trader? At what point is it a different form of exploitation? At what point does just treating women like crap um, and control them emotionally not be exploitation? Would human trafficking be exploitation? At what point does my sin become less grievous to God than what those guys are doing? So hear me right. I regularly, I do feel rage still. But I believe you know, it's a rage against injustice, and I do hate that stuff. But the reason that I end up not only I should, I, I, the, the vast majority of my time I spend with the victims of modern day slavery, um, you know, because I'm uh, our coffee skewed. Story there, I don't spend a lot of time with people who have treated these injustices. I read about them, I share about them, I don't, I don't spend time with them. So the, the vast majority of my time, and therefore my prayer and my efforts are geared towards rebuilding and restoring hope and wanting to sort of see healing and restoration. But the reason that um, I don't just, um, I also pray for the people that have done these things is if I, if I don't pray for them, I'm essentially saying that they don't deserve God's grace. And it doesn't mean that what they've done is right. I don't think what they've done is right. And I, and I pray that either God changes them or he takes them out of the game. I still pray wrist snapping prayers all the time. You know, uh, you know, I've got no problem doing that. But if, I, if I'm unwilling to, to, to pray that God would change them, then all I'm doing is I'm basically saying, let them carry on doing what they're doing. And I can't pray for somebody if I hate them. But I can pray for them and still despise what they do mm. and pray that God would change them because that would be better for the world if they were changed than if they were just shunned by holier-than-thou Christians who thought, well, they're, they're horrible people, so I'll just ignore them and just focus on the victims. 99% of my time care and attention is with the victims or the survivors, as I prefer to call them. But I still want to pray for those who perpetrate these injustices, because otherwise I'm saying there's no hope for the world. Amazing. I guess that, that really just brings to life the phrase, like, love your enemy. And the fact that you're able to like to pray for these people is uh, so encouraging. Thank you. Uh, we, we've had one more question. Yeah, sorry, my, my Wi-Fi cut out then a little bit. Um, but hasn't, um, it said, haven't Christians justified slavery throughout history? Um, I was wondering, can I get your, your take on that? Yes, they have. And it's wrong. And as a Christian, I'm sorry. There's no excuse for it. There's stuff in the Bible that's hard to explain around that issue. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. I'm not going to pretend there's not stuff which, you know, uh, and there's stuff in, in church history, which is abysmal. And I'm not, I'm not going to say that's okay. All people are image bearers of God. Nobody should be sold. Nobody should be exploited. Nobody should be mistreated. And nobody should feel like they're a second-rate citizen or they're, they're in any way less valuable than anyone else. And if you read... That compendium uh, actually has a real heart for the poor, and he has a heart for the for the outsider and the marginalised, and so there's no excuse for the church doing what they've done in, in history. And I wasn't the one that did it. I've never enslaved anyone. I've never been part of that. But I I do go by the name of a Christian, and I know what my forefathers have been involved in. Some of them, and I don't I don't subscribe to that. I distance myself from that completely. And and yet, my 
my, my attitude towards humanity and the dignity of human beings as heirs of God and those who shouldn't be enslaved, no matter who they are, what they are, where they're from. That comes from the Bible as well. And I'm grateful that, you know, the Bible isn't just full of reasons to exploit people because it's not. It's, it's the opposite. And I'm glad that God opened my eyes to that and the, wide, and the eyes of the wider church to that. And anywhere where that's happening in the church, it needs to be dealt with hard. Definitely. I know it's uh, what you were saying about Psalm 10. I, like, that is always really encouraging uh, towards the end when it's saying, uh, you, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending mm. the fatherless and the oppressed so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. And I find that when, when, you, when you look back at all of the, the horrible things which people have done as Christians, I find like coming to verses like that, uh, I know it, it encouraged me and it shows me actually, um, particularly for the, the teachers of Jesus as well, this is true and this is what you should be caring about and this is what you should stand for. Amen. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, I have a question because I don't think any more have come in yet. Um, you, in all of the sort of answers to this second part of this Q&A, you've mentioned um, that you spent the first year praying um, and you've mentioned that you pray for your enemies. I think I would like to know why do you pray? Why don't you just act? Like what, what is it in you that realises that you have to pray as well as just do good things? Um, the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of the Bible more, more broadly. And also because as a Christian, it's one of the only things that I can do that those who don't follow Jesus don't do, can't do. You know what I mean? Like there's loads of good things that I do that everyone can do. You know what I mean? And they should. You know, I'm not saying that like, you know, you, have, you haven't got to be a Christian to set up a charity or start a coffee business. But if I'm truly following God, then I should be wanting to sort of do things his way. And Jesus told this amazing story about um, a persistent widow who kept banging on the judge's door for justice until she got justice. And Jesus holds her up as an example of what our prayer for justice should be like. Just keep coming, keep banging, keep knocking that door until you get the justice that you crave. Um, and I just think that like widows aren't particularly impressive superheroes. Again, you know, not like, you know, not, not mighty warriors, but Jesus is like, you want to do justice? Be like her, be like that widow who just kept coming and kept banging and kept knocking until the judge said, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to do what you're asking me to do. But also because there's a scripture which says, and this is really important, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And nothing makes you proud like thinking you can do it yourself. And nothing, yeah. proves, nothing proves, enhances your humility, like saying, I can't do anything. I can't make a difference in any way. God, you've got to do this. And so prayer keeps you humble, but also proves your humility as well if you like I, you know i one of the things i find really hard even talking about this issue i, I would much prefer now with jesus i'll talk to anybody about jesus but with the, the the work that i do i do get a bit embarrassed talking about it because i never ever want to give the impression that i think that what i'm doing is like an amazing thing or whatever because it really i don't think it is but i, I pray all the time because i'm terrified I'm, I'm, I'm very aware of my weakness. This pandemic has shown me emotionally and spiritually how weak I really am. But I was very aware of that before the pandemic. But I'm also scared. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie to you. 
like when you start getting involved in a, in a ministry like this and living in the community where a lot of this stuff is happening, because me and my family all moved into the inner city of Cardiff to be part of the solution. I got a wife. I've got to keep all the stuff I do so fling anonymous. I can't put up to my kids online. Um, I can't advertise the address of where I work, all that kind of stuff. And the reason I pray is partly because I, I, I really am scared. I pray for God's protection on me and my family all the time because I'm terrified. Uh, that might sound like a crazy thing to admit, but I really am. I, I'm not cocky about this. And sometimes I wish I had an easier job <laughs> because, you know, it just feels it just feels sketchy. And I feel like I'm involved in some proper sketchy stuff. But I feel that if I didn't do it, I'd be disobedient to God. So I just got to crack on, I guess. But prayer is what keeps me like in the right place. Amazing. Thank you. We've just had a, another question come through. Um, right. But why would a loving God allow modern day slavery to happen in the first place? A great question. And one which I guess is, you, you could ask that about any issue, couldn't you? Any crime, any suffering, any injustice in the world. Why would a loving God allow racism? Why would a loving God allow you know rape, torture? Why, why would a loving God allow any of those things? And I hope that the answer I'm going to give is a satisfactory answer. It might not sound like a satisfactory answer, but the alternative would be for God to remove our free will. The only way that God would intervene in this world and stop that stuff happening would be by some, at some moment in human time and history to invade a situation and remove free will. And so you might say, well, that's great. If, a, if somebody's going to like, you know, traffic a woman for sex across borders, then he should remove their free will and do that. But that's not the only crime. That's not the only sin either. And so how about if you were about to tell a lie? Maybe human history and remove your free will and say that. Or you're going to look at pornography online and he removed your free will so you couldn't look at that. At what point do you want God to break in and remove free will? so that then he's intervening and stopping wicked people doing wicked things. The alternative to, to, to God giving us free will and therefore people being able to do evil things is for God to essentially make us like robots. And that would affect you as well as human traffickers. And God didn't create the world like that. He created a world where we have free will. We have the ability to choose and make our own decisions. And I've never trafficked anyone. But I've done enough wrong things and bad things to know that I did that and it was my choice and why didn't God stop me doing that? I mentioned earlier, like I, I used to treat women badly. Um, I, you know, I, I ex-girlfriends and stuff. Uh, I've been very irresponsible with my money. I've looked at websites that I shouldn't have looked at. At what point should should God have stopped me doing those things? Um, and that might sound like a flippant. It's honestly not a flippant answer. But either God's got to stop it happening, um, in which case we become robots who are who have no no agency or God allows us to be who he created us to be, but gives us an escape route in Jesus Christ, both to forgive us for our sins and also to heal us from our brokenness. And more often than not, we need both forgiveness and healing, not just one or the other. Um, so I don't know if that answers the question, but um, I, and I wish I wish God didn't allow it. I, I do. I wish a lot of things happened in this world that uh, didn't happen in this world, which do happen in this world. And I wish more, more wicked wrists would get snapped, <laughs> put it that way. But, um, you know, in, in the meantime, I've just got to, and again, they're not being a God doesn't make it a nicer world to live in. Hmm. 
trafficking is still happening if even if there is no god it still happens where's the hope then and also who has the right to judge then who said who, who even says trafficking is wrong if there is no ultimate you know moral bar that you know that, that we all have to kind of subscribe to what happens if at some point in human history we decide actually trafficking is okay exploitation for these kinds of people is okay and you might think that's something again that might sound like a flippant answer and yet we're seeing some things happening in china right now with the uyghur muslims where it seems like some people is being it looks like some people it's okay to treat these region lived in religion and so we do that we we said well, you know we we know that's wrong it's like no it's not okay it's not okay to detain people in those camps it's not okay to exploit people regardless of their faith regardless of their uh, sexuality regardless of their skin color it's just not okay but we know that because we're made in the image of a loving god not because we somehow created that kind of um you know morality ourselves so i i, I don't want to question god's love but rather i want to tap it and ask him to let his love make me an end of change rather than an end of cynicism, which would be easy to, which would be very easy to do. I heard a really helpful analogy once, and it was all about this idea of like God asks us to love him and God loves us. And it was like if your girlfriend or boyfriend goes up to you with a gun to your head and says, Marry me or I'll kill you, that's not a depiction of love at all. Um yeah. and that same idea of like love has to be a choice, and there is a choice there, and God gives us that choice. To have that full relationship with us that's something i've always found helpful when thinking about it absolutely yeah i know i probably come across as quite intense i'm just looking at my face like i'm not an angry person anymore but i'm, I'm quite passionate about this issue so if i've come across in any way a bit like Wah, i am sorry like plus it's been a long day <laughs> <laughs> no, no, um we'll probably make this the last question i imagine um no, yeah. which is um, how can we as Christians make positive impact on modern day slavery? That's a simple one. Ask God what he wants you to do about it and then be obedient. That's it. Not, not everyone's going to end up doing like stuff like, like, like charities and businesses. Maybe you're just going to like look at your kind of your shopping habits a bit more closely, or maybe you're going to get educated. Maybe you're just going to attend prayer meetings, you know, um, local prayer meetings, church prayer meetings, and maybe it's going to keep badgering past it to say, bro, can you start raising this in church a bit more often? Because i got a feeling that we don't really care about these issues in church, and I think we should. But just ask God, what you know, what part do you want me to play? Which starfish shall I lob back in? And when he says, do that one, say, all right, I'll do it. And then be obedient. And quickly, when you, when you say, um, do what God says, in what ways does God tell us these things? Uh -huh. is, it, is it a booming voice from the sky? It was for me. That's genuinely really cool. have you uh, uh, am i right if i share the story about how i ended up doing this yeah that'd be amazing yeah. I, again i don't want to waste anybody's wednesday night but so i was a pastor up in the welsh valleys which is like as far away from the inner city as you can get um i was pastoring a church up there uh, happily doing it loving it my kids were loving it um and then one day i had i, I was in, a, I was in a, a youth prayer meeting and i had a vision of um the red light district in cardiff um, and I saw a, a woman walking around this area, a prostitute, and I audibly heard the voice of God shouting at me, go and rescue her, go and rescue her, go and rescue her. And I went, I drove there that night thinking I had to go and rescue someone, and there wasn't anybody there. I was like, so I went home and said to my wife, babes, for the, like, for the first time in my life, God shouted at me today, and I don't know what the heck that was about. 
because I went there and there's no one there. And she just said, well, maybe God's trying to get your attention about the issue rather than it being about an individual. Maybe it's an issue that God wanted to get your attention with. And that's what led to the prayer meetings, which led to us moving back to the city, which is where I now live and where I now do church. So sometimes it could be a big booming voice from the sky. Probably won't be for most people, though. More often than not, you just read your Bible and God will be like, bam, there's a verse. Take that to heart. Make that your, make, make that your anchor. Um, so, you know, that's that, uh, that's more likely. Maybe you're just going to, like, have a real growing burden and you need to just take it to your church leaders and say, this thing just won't go away. Help me make sense of it. Help me know what to do. Don't be a maverick, though, because mavericks burn out proper quick and they end up, like, really isolated and exposed. Get people around you. Uh, get get your church to support you. If there's things like this just love thing, get involved with that. Get people around you who are going to keep you accountable, who are going to help you on the way. But yeah, but be open. That's the main thing. Don't close your heart to it and don't think you're too weak or small. You are too weak or small. That's the whole point. God loves people like that because they're not cocky. Amazing. Thank you. We've we've had one one last text, um, which is in Welsh. Um, for um, Popeth. I think because I'm a boy, which means I speak well, but I can't. Ah, no worries. N neither can I. I'm a, I'm a bit of a fraud, really. <laughs> More than I can do. I Thank can't do so well. Thank you so much in Welsh or You're English. Or have a weekend. See. I, I can say thank you in Welsh. That's Jolkan Vaur. That's fine. That's that's about it. And I know that chips is Sklodion. That's all I got. And coffee is coffee as well. Yeah, coffee, coffee. Yeah, that's all we need to know. Really. We, we could go all night with this one. <laughs> well, thank you so much. You've made it really accessible from my perspective, anyway. Um, Great. And yeah, really accessible. Thank you. You're welcome. God bless yeah, you guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, thanks, thanks for joining us and for bearing with us. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening and we hope you enjoyed the interview. We would love to talk more with you and listen to what you have to say on these topics. Please do contact us if you'd like to chat more, um, meet any of us or read the Bible with a member from Christian Union. We also have a follow-up course called Alpha where you can sit and discuss big topics of life with other students from Bath. So please do let us know if you'd be interested in that and want to get involved. I've personally done it a couple of times and it's been great just to hear different people's perspectives on what they think on these topics. So you can head to our website www.bathcu.org.uk and then click on our March 21 events week page and there's a follow-up form you can fill out there to find out more. But again, thank you so much for joining us with all of these podcasts this week. It's been a real pleasure to be able to hear from all these different people and have you with us along the way. Mm -hmm.